accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. everybody welcome back to the show we're continuing our watch of star trek deep space nine we're up to the episode called the collaborator it is the 24th episode of the second season aired on may 22nd 1994 teleplay goes to gary holland i receive bear and robert hewitt wolf the story credit goes to gary holland directed by cliff bowl in this episode kira's lover uh vedic Barile. i like how the wikipedia entry doesn't tell who it is but kira's lover vedic Barile is accused of collaborating with the cardassians during the occupation Probably the episode that gets the most uh, wins the award for most mentions of the word collaborator. I think it must appear 150 times in the script. It appears here on the description. We're joined by, if you guys are uh, familiar, we do have the Patreon where you can go to the uh, patreon.com slash the Penske file. And if you give the captain level tier, you get to guest an episode. And so we're joined by uh, patron Brad. Brad, how are you? Doing great. How are you? Good, good. I'm, uh, I'm going to be very excited to talk about the collaborator with you because I think that's um it's a good indicative episode of where we stand at this point in the season and the second uh the second series of everything so yeah yeah for sure do you um uh i guess we can get right into uh do you did you have any sort of uh did you pick this episode i can't really remember i think i forced this one on you right uh you you offered me a choice and i i i enjoyed this one a lot so i took it okay <laughs> i have to be kind of an iron fist i think with the ones that i'm giving out at this point i got my spreadsheet going and everything but we're going to uh Take a break. I'm going to play an audio clip, and me and Brad are going to come back, and we're going to break down the collaborator. This is Major Kira, the highest-ranking Bajoran on the station. And I suppose you're the one I should be talking to. Make it brief. I don't enjoy talking to collaborators. I'm not asking you to like me. I'm simply requesting that I be allowed to return home. Your request is denied. I doubt if you have the authority to make that decision. The decision has already been made. In the Ilvian proclamation... Every Bajoran who was a member of the Cardassian occupational government was sentenced to exile. Your name was number four on that list. Personally, I think you all got off too easy. Okay, Brad. So uh, I'll give you I'll give you the honor here of uh, sort of starting off with your opinion about what you thought about this one. Then we'll take it however direction you want to go with discussing it, because I do think there's a lot to talk about here. Um, it is another Bajoran political episode, which we haven't actually had in quite a while. Maybe since, um, what the last one have been? Last one have been something like, no, it wasn't even the Maquis. Would have, it would have been something earlier in the second season. I can't remember. Yeah, it's been, it's been a few episodes for sure since we've gotten into the intrigue. Yeah, I mean, we had the big three-parter that started off the season. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm missing one, but I'll look that up. Why don't you give me your general thoughts about why uh, or what you thought about this one? Sure. Yeah, I, I, I have mixed feelings. I, I really enjoy the political intrigue aspect of DS9. I think that's, for a lot of people, that's the part of DS9 that they don't care so much for. And their chief complaint is often that it's, it's too much people talking in rooms about politics. And I, that's actually the, the part of DS9 that I enjoy the most. So I, needless to say, I, I enjoyed that aspect of this episode a lot. Uh, it did drag on in certain parts. And I felt like they didn't really take advantage of all of the interesting set pieces and characters that they'd actually created for this episode. They instead kind of focused on the established characters too much. Um, I really enjoyed 
the intro the, the introduction of the collaborator the concept of a collaborator because that was um that really added depth and richness to the whole story of the occupation but i felt like they didn't really use that enough they used it just as sort of a an intro or a setup for the intrigue that already existed between Kira and Wynn and uh, Vedic Brile, and to just kind of let that formula play out. And that was enjoyable to watch and interesting, but it, I really didn't feel like they delved enough into that uh, collaborator and really wrestled with that to the extent that it would have made me, would have made it like a, you know, a top 10 episode instead of a, you know, you know middling upper episode yeah uh, upper middling i guess (laughs) yeah i i agree and it's interesting like the this is the first time that the show has actually mentioned the fact that there was basically a puppet bajoran government uh Mm -hmm. installed while the cardassians were around i think all the episodes previous to this really imply the fact that the cardassians were the only government that was going on Mm -hmm. there but it makes Mm -hmm. it certainly makes historical sense and i think it makes sense on a um like an in-canon level, that the Cardassians would allow a puppet government to be installed, and the Bajorans uh, pejoratively call them collaborators. Um, mm-hmm. We've had hints of this in the past. I think in like Necessary Evil, uh, it was implied that some Bajorans were willing to work with the Cardassians, and they were frowned upon by the rest of Bajorans, as they should be. Um, mm-hmm. I agree that the you're probably you're you're probably directly polar opposite to clay who does tends to not like the political aspects of uh, star <laughs> yeah. trek and things like that i'm i'm somewhere in the middle and i think that my problem with the episode as a whole really stems from the fact that i don't know if the show ever really settles into the bajoran political aspects of things um i know that the the series was set up ostensibly to be about the Bajorans joining Starf- uh, the Federation and things like that, and uh, mm. Cisco's the emissary. But I feel every time we talk to the Vedex and they come on the station, they feel like they're characters who are just plucked out of nowhere and put into the show, and they don't mm-hmm. have a firm footing in anything else that I've seen or really understand about what's going on, even though we, you know, we occasionally have shots in the temples on Bajor, and they feel, um, they feel very made up to me like they don't really have an mm-hmm. impact on things outside of the episodes that they're in and i don't know if you wanted to speak to that if you think that they're installed a, a deeper or if you sort I, of appreciate them on a different level no i i agree they ha- they lack a certain context uh i think we're just supportive we're supposed to accept that they're just sort of religious figures of import and some you know obviously you can't in Bajorian society you can't really extricate the political from the religious they're really intertwined so they're supposed to also be these political figures but i agree they don't really they don't really carry that gravitas except for kai win you know she seems to pretty clearly wield both you know religious and political power but the average the vedics and the various figures that that pop in and out it's not clear what their roles are in society what their station is what how they actually impact things i are they just priests do they have decision-making power yeah it it, the show doesn't really flesh that out as much as it could and how much um like i think of the only time you ever hear kira talk about this is when the vedics are in an episode you know so i it always strikes me as odd kira becomes more religious when they're around and i understand that's because she's talking (laughs) to basically a a bishop at this point but Mm -hmm. 
she 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 excuse me she seems to have a like a sincere belief in the Bajoran religion but you never hear her talking about what seems to be a very important political decision that's going on on the planet outside of the episodes that it actually happens in so to, mm-hmm. th- that's why they I don't get a very good sense of how Bajor is set up and I think that the the fact that the like I don't want to talk about it too much, but Vedic Burial is just so miscast as this guy. Like <laughs> he's supposed like correct me if I'm wrong, he's supposed to be the Vedic of the people, right? He's he's supposed to be super popular, yet he's not charismatic at all, which does which which really strikes me as inappropriate. I feel like Wynne is appropriate because she should so, sort of be the stuffy reserved one, but Burial should be the really you know, liberal, hanging loose with the people, uh, not taking things particularly seriously while still being religiously minded and everything. And the way that he is does not match up with that. And, and Kira being in a relationship yeah. with him doesn't make any sense on that level, too. I definitely see where you're coming from on that. I feel like you ha- you can get there with Vedic Brile, but you really have to pay attention to the few snippets of interesting dialogue that they give him. I mean, you know, there's that scene on the promenade where with the kids and Kai Wen and Kai Wen's telling the kids, um, you know, if you do good works, the prophets will reward you. And, you know, he basically counters and said, oh, well, you know, from my reading of the texts, you don't have to, um, the prophet's love is unconditional and you don't have to do, you know, do works to, to gain their favor. And you kind of get an insight there into how his philosophy is different. He's more liberal i guess to use the word or he's more he's less constrained by less a fundamentalist uh, exactly less of a fundamentalist so you can i think you can kind of pick those things out but i i completely agree you really have to go digging through the trash to kind of figure out what he's about and what he stands for it doesn't pop out of you my my favorite line in the entire episode is actually kai win's response to him there where she says sort of sarcastically thank you vedic barail for showing us how it's possible to misinterpret the yes. text which is she's yeah. on face saying that he is correcting her but she is sarcastically saying that he is wrong in his interpretation yeah I, I have to say i love that whole scene i thought that the sort of the 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 rich sort of cattiness that plays out between the three of them between kira and Brial and win as they sort of passive aggressively one up each other and then of course in true fashion kira can't maintain the sort of passive aggressive she just goes full aggressive at the end (laughs) (laughs) and then when i think it's not that scene but the the second scene where kira confronts win ends with win basically threatening her uh not to interfere yeah Yeah. it's 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 funny it i i did like it speaking that scene i did like that the things bubbled over between Kira and when those two had kind of been doing a tete-a-tete where, you know, they had kind of passive aggressively been dancing about what happened and the attempted assassination and everything on Barao's life. And, and I liked that they, they finally came to a head and it was that hostility became less subtext and more less cold war and more, you know, it's actually out there. I, yeah. I don't like you. I'm out to get you. Um, you know, Wynn kind of maintains the mask a little bit, but Kira is just done with the pretense. She's just saying, look, I don't like you. I don't trust you. And I'm not going to play your game. Did, um, um, I think my favorite scene with Burial is actually the one where, uh, him and Kira are shirtless <laughs> in, in the opening. <laughs> um, and he is, she somehow, uh, Kira somehow brings up Opaka, which is mm-hmm. Opaka might be the most, serialized aspect of this on some level i I was thinking that if you were totally unfamiliar the opaka thing probably is like 
you probably view it as bad writing, how she's brought into the story and being like, who? You're going to blame this on a person who I have no idea yeah. who is uh, this? But it's very serialized. But I think that Kira brings up Opaka's name and Barao reacts to it. Uh, he sort of gets shook up by her mentioning that name. And I thought it was a nice bit of foreshadowing. I mean, it's showing that the actor is kind of capable of realizing oh, yeah. what's going on. He's just not playing it properly. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that. Um, but I'm remembering now he did have kind of an odd look and on retrospect, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause for the, uh, if you haven't seen the episode in a while, there's just a quick reminder is that, um, the plot synopsis is just that, uh, the, Burial and Wynn are trying to have a political election to determine who's going to become the next uh, Bajoran Pope, or they call it a Kai, uh, since Kai Opaka has left in the episode Battle Lines in the first season. Um, and through a sort of machinations of bringing back these Bajoran collaborators uh, into the fold, Kai Wind learns that Burial might have been involved in a attack, a Cardassian attack on a Bajoran resistance group because someone in the Bajoran government gave the Cardassians information that they were there. Uh, she thinks it was Burial. Kira investigates, finds out that it was Burial who seems to have uh, done this thing. And then, so, Wynn is elected Kai. And then Kira learns that Burial didn't do it for his own self. He did it because he was covering for Kai Opaka, who had to do it. Um, I have... Let me know what you think about the plot of this episode. I think that the I think that the idea of this is really strong. I think that what they're trying to do is everything, almost all the successful episodes of DS9 at this point sort of feel like they're trying to rip off duet on some level. Uh, (laughs) And this one feels similar to that where it's basically a character story and uh, like a closed room story where the uh, bottle episode, if you will, where things are very Mm -hmm. contained. However, I I love the emotion and what they're trying to do here. I didn't feel like the the plot points were effective enough to sell the emotion in a like a way that makes logical sense at the end too. Mostly because if Barile is such a Vedic of the people, what he did seems in any situation to have been the right thing. Right? Like, are there any Bajorans who would be like, oh yeah, you definitely should have killed 1200 people instead of killing 40 people that seems like the thing you should do so i i don't really understand where the political um problems come for him yeah i guess i think if you think about it logically you might come to that conclusion but i could definitely if i cast that into uh into the real world and think about you know if how would i react how would the population react if a presidential candidate was revealed to have given information that allowed american soldiers to die the larger context would probably not be appreciated by a lot of people yeah um i feel like if you sat down and really thought through it you might come to the conclusion they did the right thing but the truth is that the mass uh, populate the masses of the population don't always you know carefully consider context they just think about they may only get the message that um you know, he collaborated. That yeah. that would be it, right? Um, that would be enough to be a death death sentence. Yeah, I I guess I don't disagree. Then I, I think that maybe the weakness for me is more the fact that uh, the situation on Bajor, as we were starting off at the top of the episode, isn't clear enough for me then, because 
Mm-hmm. For some reason, I get the idea that that Baraya was much more popular than Win because Win seems to even think that she, there's no way she can win this election at the very start until this falls into her lap. Yeah. And I guess maybe it's closer than that. Maybe that makes sense in Bejo where this fundamental split would be a lot more close than it actually is. But I he he's also I also just thought it was weird. They do a little bit of saving face for the character by making it opaca at the end, like. Mm-hmm. is he he's why why is he covering for her at that point why not just yeah. accept that and then win the election in because that's what she wanted to happen opaka wanted him to become the next kai so why not just not throw her under the bus but be like yeah she actually did it and it was a noble sacrifice on her part i i agree that the choice to make it opaka in the end was a, a weird turn that was really not necessary and didn't really improve the episode i think it would have been better if Varial had done it, uh, which is really where I was in my head until the last five minutes of the episode when it's revealed that, it, you know, when, when uh, Kira figures it out, because that's just a lot more weighty. Uh, it's you spend this episode wrestling with this beloved character, maybe having done something um, morally gray. And then it turns out he didn't at all. And actually, the only thing he's wrestling with is preserving the reputation of a beloved religious figure that came before him. And that that's a lot less understandable to me than doing the calculation I just mentioned of, well, look, uh, I can't let this come out because obviously I would never win the election. Yeah. And so it's better just not to dredge that up and, and bring the Bajoran people through that. Let's just let sleeping dogs lie. I understand that. But if it's just if it was just to save Opaka's reputation, why is that so important? Unless unless her importance to the Bajoran people is so much bigger than. The show has really illustrated to us so far. Yeah, the the show certainly hasn't done anything to make that kind of a point. I mean, she kind of abandoned the Bajorans. Like she, yeah. So right. it's it's not like she's even dead. She's alive. They could go get her and bring her back and have her answer <laughs> to this. But yeah, I, I see. I, I feel like I could have the plot that this episode has if there was some reason for him to cover Bropaka. That made sense. There mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be any good reason as to why he would do that other than it seems like the show is unwilling to put Burial in that position where he is responsible for something like that. Um, he does come back. They want Wynn to be the bad guy. Wynn is clearly the bad guy. Sure. And I feel that they but I, I feel it fits more of the show's <clears throat> ethos if Burial actually did this this quote unquote yeah. horrible thing whether or not you think it's truly horrible or not but they they back away from it. And I think it's it was kind of a mistake, as you were saying. To, I, to wrap I it up. agree. I think it's I think it's chicken. I think for a show that uh, really values exploring the moral gray areas, they really chickened out on that one. And I see that in a lot of these episodes that I'm doing on a you know I've been rewatching, and I had in my head obviously DS9 is the darker of the series, and it it's comfortable playing with moral ambiguity. But actually, a lot of times when they have the opportunity to pin something really morally gray on one of our main characters, they, they chicken out somehow. Yeah. They do a fake out because they just can't quite bring themselves to sully the character. No, it's, it's, it's a really a holdover from D- TNG. Most, I, I noticed it most notably in um, Necessary Evil, where Kira didn't really set out to assassinate the guy. She just kind of killed him by happenstance, which, oh, is, yeah, which right. is not as bad. If she had been sent there to assassinate him, that episode is like a 10 out of 10 for me. Um, it's still mm-hmm. very high, but it's like, it's just like, ah, I really wish they hadn't done that at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have this purity standard that they just can't get over. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, um, 
TNG is still, I'm pretty sure this is the last episode. TNG wraps up before this episode, maybe, or maybe slightly after. So TNG is just wrapping up. So we are still in the TNG universe of uh, these characters need to be morally clean at the end of things. They can have, they can have weird decisions and maybe make tough decisions where someone has to suffer because of it, but they cannot just outright do something Mm. wrong and get away with it. I was I was going to ask you, what did you think of the the orb visions? We get three orb visions at various points throughout the episode. I felt like they really were more confusing than they were helpful in sort of understanding the plot. <laughs> yeah. I, and I uh, yeah no go go ahead finish your thought. I was just going to say I I, I feel like uh, they're better than some of the other orb visions that we've seen. Uh, the, the orb visions that I can't stand are the ones where the prophets are speaking through the various people and they have the sort of nonsensical uh phrases about um he is linear he cannot understand basically the the emissary the second half of emissary exactly basically the second half of emissary uh because mostly because the whole wormhole alien thing shifts and changes so many times that i lose track of what they are and what they can and can't do and I, i like it when they're more symbolic which they were in this episode but i found that the symbolism in each of the three dreams was almost seemingly random like it i tried even after i knew the full plot of the episode rewatched it i couldn't really map all of the symbolism to what had happened in the episode the um i thought it was a i thought it was a mix my first thing about my first takeaway about the uh visions is they played the exact same burial reaction shot at the end of each one <laughs> yeah where he reacts yeah. to this blank look and then slowly shuts the case and it's he, yep He's got the Keanu Reeves whoa expression yeah, well, on his face. It's, yeah. it's basically the uh, the making love scene from the room uh, where they just replayed <laughs> the same thing and they do that. But the I thought the symbolism was a mix. I thought some of it was incredibly obvious, like the uh, the noose. The snake turns mm-hmm, into a noose. Sure. It's like always hanging yeah. himself. But Kira playing handball was something yeah, that Kira I, playing handball did not map for me. And then why did Kira stab him in the third vision? That's a good one. I don't know the answer to that. I think that the, um, what's the, I, I was similarly confused by, it's the guy who hanged himself. Um, when they cut him down, I thought it was Beryl. And then they're like, no, it's, it's this other guy. And then I was looking at it closer. I was like, oh, it is a different actor. So I, I was confused about yeah, why, why right. it wasn't Beryl in the first place, which would have made more symbolic sense to me. Right. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I think that the only show I don't think I've ever had a show that I've enjoyed that does um, dream sequences really well like that. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't over overdo it, but I think that it's a it, it's a unsatisfying mix of not good symbolism and <laughs> uh, a waste of time on some level. Y- yeah, yeah, for sure. I, uh, I felt like they could have cut those down a little bit. I felt like they could have, you know, they could have played up, like you said, Brow's reaction to it a little bit more, gave it more impact. Instead, it just kind of seemed like a confusing jumble of things that didn't really connect. Either they connected, they were super obvious what they meant, or they seemed to have, make no sense. And uh, do the Vedex just do this regularly? Is this a thing, I guess? Yeah, that's. I've always been confused about who gets access to the orbs, like who has that privilege. It seems like they offer that to you know trusted people, but are Vedics just popping back to the orb to have visions constantly is that they're right i don't know it's, it's not clear yeah it's like, it's like you say it's also unclear what interactions the prophets have with the bajorans outside of the orbs um right because i don't think we've seen them interact with the bajorans to this point and 
Have the Bajorans ever... The Bajorans knew the wormhole existed, but never went through it, I guess? It's unclear, I think. Yeah, that part's also a little bit unclear. I th- yeah. I mean, they knew, they certainly know about the Celestial Temple and all their texts, but it's not clear that they understood that was a literal wormhole. Until, right, right. Uh, or DS9. yeah, if it's just a coincidence that the wormhole shows up and they assume that it is the temple, I guess. Yeah. Maybe that makes sense. Um, let me see here. I, I, I like the way that the... I, the one thing I do like about the resolution is I do like the fact that when becomes Kai at the end of this. Mm-hmm. And apparently... Yep. I was shocked on Memory Alpha to learn that they were actually spending the entire season thinking Burial was going to become Kai, which is, oh, it's, really? it seems like writers 101 that you don't have the character that <laughs> is the, what the heroes want to be the yeah. person who gets into control. So I'm glad that they didn't screw that up. But when being in control makes a whole lot of sense. I love the, the scene at the very end. She's uh, when has spent the entire episode calling Cisco emissary. Almost every sentence she says about him, she uh-huh. says the emissary, the emissary. After she gets what she wants, she calls him Commander Cisco and says, "We're not going to have our meeting anymore." Oh, you know, I hadn't caught on that she called him Cisco versus emissary. Yeah, it's but the yeah. one time in the episode, and I think it's really clever, and I think it's really smart uh, what they're doing there. That she is just the opportunist who doesn't really believe in Cisco as the emissary, but is willing to play that. Uh, until she gets what she wants out of it yeah that, i really enjoyed that scene where she went to cisco and uh when she thought she was going to be losing the election and you know essentially begged him to pull a james comey and interfere yeah. in the election come come, <laughs> come talk to the assembly with uh standing by her side as as her prop basically and you know cisco sees straight through that but i, I really enjoyed the tension dripping in that scene where he obviously understands what she's after and he kind of plays along and says, that's a great idea. I'd love to stand before the assembly with you. Let's, uh, you know, schedule that right after the election, just so that there's no confusion about, you know, interfering in the election. Oh, oh, yeah, that's great. You don't think that, um, so you think Cisco is just playing along with her at that point and doesn't actually, does Cisco want to actually have that kind of a thing, an announcement for the Bajorans or is he just playing along? Oh, absolutely along? not. Okay. Abs- I, I, it's, I don't think at this point in his arc that he's comfortable with that at all. Even, even if it were taking out of, uh, even if you took the election out of it, I don't think he wants any part of that. I think he's just playing along because he knows as soon as he says he won't do it before the election that she'll drop it. I give this- him, I give him that credit. This is the, um, it's an episode that because of the way that the series has been going and the tone in a lot of the recent episodes with a sort of, uh, Iris Stephen Bear's, uh, viewpoint is coming through a little bit more about his view of the Federation. Mm-hmm. This is the, it's a, it's an odd episode that really brings to the forefront the fact that the Federation wants Bajor to join the Federation and the Bajorans are unsure about whether or not they want to do this. And this episode and the the way that this tone of the series has been going, it's kind of odd that the Federation is so insistent on the Bajorans joining them and that this is all that they want to do. Mm-hmm. I don't, wh- what's your take on the, why is the Federation so interested in Bajor? Is it just the wormhole or is this their sort of way that they go about recruiting new planets? It does seem really aggressive compared with the way that they've pursued other uh, they've seen a lot more aloof about planets in the next generation who were being considered for Federation membership. They seem it, it very much more like an elite just, club in TNG exactly. where they were ready to, to turn them down. Yeah. 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 They basically, um, 
I'm trying to think of the episode, but as soon as they discovered the planet's dirty secret, um, they basically just kicked him out of consideration for the the Federation. Yes, I feel yep, like, I remember it, that. It, yeah, and it, it seems like in Bajor's case, they're willing to. You know, in the initial episode, they basically, the Admiral basically tells Cisco his job is to do anything short of violating the Prime Directive to bring Bajor into the Federation. It's not clear to me why that's so important to the Federation, unless it's strategic importance, yeah. with Bajor being so close to the Cardassian Empire. That, you know, that's a very cynical read, but it, it would make more sense because they need some sort of a military outpost near the Cardassian border. Fits with the the series. I, I don't know if it fits with the way that the series started, but it fits with the, what the series is now at this point, yeah. I think, yeah. where Bajor is purely seen as a tactical uh, place of importance, and they must accomplish that. Um, and the, I, I guess that it's another level of cl- uh, clarity that's lacking in the Bajorans, where I, you don't really get a sense of why the Bajorans wouldn't want to join them. At this point, like they, they don't have a lot of discussions about that, whether it be a religious mm-hmm. reason or something else, or just a distrust of authority since the Cardassian occupation. I don't know if I'm misremembering, but is there anything else that swings to mind? They 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 get there eventually, um, in the later seasons, but I yeah, at this point they definitely haven't explored that. The only thing we get, I think, is Kira's sort of initial resistance to the Federation coming in is kind of a proxy for how the Bajorans might feel being, uh, meaning that they just throw off the yoke of Cardassian oppression and they, they're independent for the first time in their history, in their recent history. And they want to flourish on their own without some kind of, um, even if it's not direct oppression, some kind of, I don't know, parental figure or, you know, some other agent taking away their agency yeah some other authority that you have to appeal to if you want to get anything done yeah i i think you're you're sparking my memory about that and i think that makes it that that brings it up and it makes it clear i think that's really my problem with the bajoran angle i don't really like the bajoran uh stuff in ds9 i know that it's it's extremely important and i think they eventually settle into a more comfortable place with it but it's yeah it's it's really just not well defined enough for me and it's surprising because i feel like so much of the other stuff that they've been talking about and maybe the stuff the show seems more interested in is more defined at this point but the um the bajorans just come across as kind of a vague religious vaguely political thing where (laughs) you can kind of just make up this skeleton of a story and plug it into places Mm -hmm. and you don't get a sense of it, if the if the series is about criticizing the Federation's opinion about how the Federation does its business, the show should have done a better job of showing the Bajoran side of this, where they don't want that to be part of it, and you don't get any sense of that. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's their their relationship with the outside world is uh, not explored. They basically have only had two real windows into the outside universe one being the Cardassians and the other being the Federation. And yep. uh, it's pretty clear how they feel about the Cardassians. That's that's not a really nuanced uh, story. We've had plenty of episodes uh, dealing with that. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. But we don't really get into how the interaction with the Federation is going, even though that's the point of the series. And even over the seven seasons we get, it, I agree, it's not really checked in on regularly to see how is the relationship with the Federation going. There's a few episodes I can think of where that's really the focus, but other than that, it's mostly ignored, which is so, odd. 
Cisco's supposed to be the emissary. You know, like yeah, I, exactly. I feel I feel the Bajoran should interact with him in a way that is the way that fake win interacts with him until she sort of reveals that she doesn't sure. care about it. Like, like <laughs> Cisco walks by a lot of Bajorans on the show and there's never any sense of reverence from them, which you think mm-hmm. there should be. Um, yeah. And it's a, I, I feel that Cisco's role as the emissary across the series is a microcosm of the Bajoran problem, the Bajoran story problem. It's just, it's there and it's almost mm-hmm. like the writers don't want it to be there, but it's been there since the beginning and they don't really know what to do with it at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. So, they don't fully embrace it. So what's the, um, before we wrap this one up, why don't you, you started off by just saying, uh, why don't you convince me of the, uh, the strength of the Bajoran storyline here and how it ties into Star Trek, I guess would be a good way to look at it. Like why, sure. why the Bajorans I, are important to DS9 and Star Trek in general. I think that I think they're an opening, like you said, to kind of paint your own story. I think the they don't do a great job of fleshing out all the details we've talked about. But I think there's just enough there to kind of spark your imagination and kind of fill in with your own headcanon exactly what happened during the occupation, uh, what that was like uh, for the Bajorans, how they feel as a people coming into their own and trying to find independence. And you can kind of map that to a lot of political situations that were going on in the nineties that were going, that continue to go on today. Um, I, I like it as just sort of like a, a skeleton to, for generic socio-political conflict. You can kind of, you know, think about it in that way. Even if the show doesn't do a great job of fleshing out all the details for us, I think it's, I think it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting world that they've half built and you can kind of build the rest in your head and it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, that's, yeah. um, for maybe for the variety of Star Trek storytelling, it's better to have a vague Bajoran government than it is to have one that's uh, strictly defined. Uh, I think if you if you're doing seven seasons, it might be tough to get a lot of mileage out of a very well defined Bajoran system. Even though I feel it, it the lack of definition hinders episodes like this slightly, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I will say I was very disappointed about the lack of development of Kubis. They really brought him in. Uh, they kind of teased. I mean, the episode's called the collaborator. Yep. He plays really just a bit part in the discovery of this whole plot. And I really feel like exploring the ethics uh, because he makes some ethical arguments really up front when they, uh, when Kira confronts him and says, you know, you were, uh, yeah, you're a collaborator, you're a criminal, you deserve to be exiled. And he makes some arguments back about, if I hadn't done what I did, things would have been 10 times worse for the Bajoran people. And I was, you know, doing what I needed to do to survive. And you don't have any right to judge me. But Bajor is my home and I want to go die there, basically. That, that to me is a much, much more interesting and compelling ethical story to tell and explore than, you know, did, did Vedic Burial do something bad? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah. uh, I 100% agree. The Kubis thing, it might have, uh, that, that probably would have been the story to chase around. It does feel, that feels strongly reminiscent of Duet on some level. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they were scared of repeating that. But I felt bad for him on some level. Like, I did. I, I felt like he had some points to make there. Yeah. And they, they do a good job of, the actor doesn't play him as an arrogant a-hole which is important. Yeah, like he right. is just an old man who's trying to come back home to die. 
he as you say he had the point about things might have been worse if he wasn't there if the you know the the very weak puppet government wasn't doing uh th- the best that it could to sort of limit the destruction that the Cardassians were doing and mm-hmm. they the show because it switches focus to the Vedics doesn't get you a chance to analyze whether or not Kira is treating him poorly about this right. so the episode seems to imply that Kira is making the righteous decision here and fuck this guy, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, hey, we have this proclamation that says all collaborators are to be exiled. And that was basically open and shut. And uh, everyone agreed. Everyone was very satisfied with their righteous anger. Even Odo. Never, There's no... <laughs> yeah, you know, Odo's, Odo's in, Odo should have been in that spot as sort of a surprised by how hostile Kira is being to him. Yeah. You know? yeah he, he, he seems he really to hate the guy the even more. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really didn't. Uh, I I, underst- I I could understand their initial emotional reaction. Yeah. But then the episode could take that in a place where it's like, well, what would you do in that situation if you were essentially forced to be part of a government? You could either choose to be part of the government and try to shape things in a way that minimizes the pain that people feel on Bajor, or you could say, screw you, I'm not going to deal with it, become a terrorist, and probably die, and have no say in the political system. What, what would you choose? Maybe, maybe it's not always wrong to try to bend you know, the Cardassians. Maybe yep. that's not always the wrong thing to do. We don't know enough to really make a judgment. And uh, you um, could have Cisco come in and, re- and be like, Kira, remember when you burned down that old man's house because he didn't want, yeah. <laughs> didn't want to leave? Um, maybe, yeah. you should, maybe you should <laughs> cut him some slack to cool this here. Well, and in fact, you know, not to get into later seasons, but at some point, Kira finds herself in a very similar position where she has to make the same kind of choices about going full terrorist mode or cooperating. And, you know, I I think back to this episode a lot when I watch the later seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we go to final thoughts? Um, Oh, we had one thing about Odo. Is this the first time we find out that Odo has feelings for... It Kira? is. Yes, okay. it is. Yeah. Which was apparently, that's a good, uh, thank you for reminding me. That's a, um, the, I was reading Memory Alpha, the writers were surprised that Rene Aubergenois played it that way because they didn't write the script that way. Oh, really? Oh, so, interesting. So his take on that, where he slightly hints at the fact that maybe he has feelings for Kira, uh, and then sort of expertly covers it up in a true Odo way. Uh, was a little bit unintended, but the writers obviously run with that uh, going forward. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that uh, that wasn't intentional. It, it makes sense, right? Their, their relationship makes sense to me. Like they, they would be the sort of the two that Odo would be pining for her. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. And, you know, maybe cast some light on the Kira psychology where she is just after the most wet cardboard men at this point uh that's a good way of putting it she's a real spitfire i don't i don't know maybe she just she's lived such an exciting life she just wants something dull maybe would be the psychology maybe. there maybe i think there is a piece of that yeah lord knows that's what i'm after but uh, <laughs> aren't we all you know <laughs> yeah that's um yeah an excellent point that is the origin of that and it's um aubergine Noir just plays it well me and clay talked a little bit about who who would you say is the best actor on the show at this point Oh, um, at this point it would, I, I think it's, um, I'm going to forget his name. Is it Andrew Robinson that plays Garrick? Garrick. Yeah. Andrew Robinson. Yeah. I, I, I think hands down, he's the best character actor. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I'd, um, I'd probably put Aubergenois and, um, although the most improved is Kira, I think, because Kira oh, is yeah, now reliable sure. in every single episode. Yeah. She's definitely coming to her own. Uh, Aubergenois is great. Definitely don't want to take away from him. 
Uh, I feel like he's limited a little bit in the range he can display by his character's nature. Yeah, and the, the makeup um, itself is just, yeah, you just have to exactly. stare blankly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think we can agree uh, solid bottom of the rung is still Dax. Yep, still Dax. <laughs> followed Consistently by, worst acting. Uh, my second place would probably go to... It'd probably be like one of the Ferengi or something. Maybe Jake Sisko, oh. but Jake just isn't in it enough to really I, yeah, bother you. Yeah, I don't you. really count him. I, child actors in Star Trek, I just, I don't even rate usually. It's usually a lost cause. But I was going to say uh, Bashir. I really feel like he's, at this stage, he gets a little better in later seasons, but yeah. he is really wooden and unconvincing. And any scene where it's him and, and Jadzia talking is yeah. just unwatchable. <laughs> It does get better. Things improve, as it you does. say. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Well, that was a good discussion. We will play an audio clip. Me and Brad are going to come back, and we are going to give our final thoughts. We'll read patron thoughts, and then we will call this one a day. Maurice. Did you really believe I wouldn't learn the truth? The truth is not always easy to recognize. I recognize it now, and I don't like what I see. Why did you do it? Why did you erase those transmission records? Don't make me do this. I don't have any choice. Wynne is waiting to hear from me. Do you really want me to tell her that you ordered Beck to give the Cardassians a location of that resistance base? That you are responsible for the deaths of those 43 people? You killed Kaiopaka's son. All right, everybody. If you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave thoughts about upcoming episodes, and then we read them on the show and react to them. Uh, We make fun of you before we start recording, but then we actually get to it and start reading things. So I'm going to read these now. Uh, Stephen Cobb says, The Collaborator, Good intrigue episode. Adds depth to the political and religious universe. Shows that things are nuanced, an area that DS9 does very well. A bit better acting from Burial, but his weak performance is overshadowed by the god-awful acting of Kubis. He's like a community theater actor who has one line to say and just waits for his turn, and when it comes up, he just blurts it out loud and fast without concern for the context of the scene, and then is pleased with himself for not screwing up the words. I think that's harsh. I thought that, that actor was, was... That was really harsh. Yeah. I think that actor is okay in what he needs to do, and... um. I'm trying to remember now if I actually I, I didn't register him as a bad actor no, when I was watching. I, I, I got a, a definite sort of old man is angry vibe from him, but uh, I, I, I didn't think he was a terrible actor. I, I picked up on his New York accent more than anything. Yeah, yes, I, I, yeah, I caught a hint of that. <laughs> Apparently, Bajor has a Bronx as well. Yeah, he's hey, I'm walking here. Um, as, as he, him saying that as he was walking through the uh, promenade was inappropriate, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I, I didn't think it was, so that's interesting, Stephen, uh, that you thought he was that bad. I, it really didn't strike me that way. Um, Matthew Ross says, the collaborator, well, of course, Burial is too honorable to the detriment of self and Bajor making him an idiot. Burial's failure is complete here, showing his lack of confidence. Good for him not taking, uh, taking on the Kai role. It gives the writer some controversy in Louise Fletcher's win is great at her sleaziest. Again, all she needs is a purple or brown hat saying MBGA, make Bajor great again. The best scene is the conversation between Cisco and Wynn displaying their abject hatred of each other. Uh, that, that is true. That is a good scene. I think um, Avery Brooks plays that scene very well. Oh, for sure. Uh, Fletcher and Wynn's dress down of Kira is also a display that she's not one to be messed with and that she is also a better actor. 
Interesting. I I'll hmm. come back to that. Also, that Minister Kubla, uh, Kuba Oak, his name is Oak, which made me think of Pokemon. Is this his cousin <laughs> Khan Poplar? Obviously, came from the Brooklyn of Bajor. There we go again. The references here. Uh, regardless, the episode asks what to do with the Vici collaborators and how do we reconcile the end justifying the means, setting the tone for future chaos on Bajor. Um, so the first point there, I think that this is actually the weakest Vedic win performance from Louise Fletcher out of all the episodes that she's been in. Hmm. Would you disagree or did, did I, you? Uh, I don't know. I, you mean so far or no, overall? Just, or? I think she was better in the uh, season one episodes that she was in. Here she comes across as a little bit stilted, I think. Like she... I don't know. She she kind of suffers from the burial problem. I feel like the producers were telling them to act really sort of aloof and holier than thou, and it comes off uh, not realistic in some mm. way. So maybe that's just the Bajoran Vedic role, and that's how they speak. But it to me, it strikes yeah. me as, as bad acting. I I can definitely see how you'd come to that. I guess I cast that in my. I mean, I noticed the sort of plasticky acting, but I assumed that that was a choice she made to. to as part of her sort of <clears throat> facade of her character. Okay. That, that, but maybe I'm giving her too much credit. You, I, she's a, she's a, obviously a great actress. She won an Academy Award, I believe, right? So, Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It must have been, the producers must have been pushing that. And I, I don't yeah. think that was a good decision for them. Um, yeah. Let's see. And, and what I'm talking about is having the Vedex play that sort of uptight spiritual uh, aspect yeah kyle barrett the collaborator despite being built on rather shaky foundations mainly the boring burial and the feeling at times like a diet version of duet the episode manages to be a pretty decent political drama in the end i'd agree with that yeah, uh, yeah that's it those are all the collaborator comments so let's uh we'll get to our own final thoughts here uh brad i'll let you lead off if you want to give your rating on the one to five scale just give your final summation of everything Sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot built here. I feel like they did a really did a lot of favors to the overall world building of Bajor and the history of the occupation. I feel like they didn't really reach for the stars in terms of exploring the moral grayness of what it means to be a collaborator and whether or not Kubis's actions were justified. I would have much rather seen an episode that was the trial of Kubis than a whodunit about um, some shaky decisions that Brile may have made, and then it turning out that Brile actually didn't even make them. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so for because I feel like it was a good attempt, it was entertaining, and, but it didn't quite take advantage of the potential that it had. I, I give it a three. Okay. Yeah i i I feel like it's a it's a pretty good Bajoran episode. Uh, which is the you know just the kind of episode that it is. I agree with you that I think the Kubis storyline is more interesting than sort of doing a bait and switch with Brile at some points, and especially mm-hmm. if you're not even going to stick to your guns and sell out on the Brile idea at the very end. Um, it's it's tough because it suffers from the Bajoran problems, which I talked about, uh, and it's it's a very talky episode, but it's talky in a good way, and so. I think I'll also give it a three, although it's it's kind of a high three for me. I think it's mm-hmm. enjoyable, and I think it's very good. It, it could easily become a four, but I think it's just, it's really lacking that last bit of emotional oomph that you would need at that point uh, to knock it into that category. 
Yeah, for sure. A good episode, though. So we're um, I'm considering with a, a sort of a, a an additional way to think of the DS9 episodes as opposed to rating it. So if you were because of the serialized nature of the show, uh, would you if someone were to ask you to give you uh, give them they wanted to watch DS9 and you had to give them a list of the episodes that you can skip maybe watch or must watch what would you where would you rank this one on that kind of a three-point oh, scale interesting um this would be a maybe watch okay yeah yeah i don't think it's critical to your understanding of the of the plot and i don't think it really gives you enough of a taste of what ds9 is about to be a must watch but it's also not a skip i think it's i think it's a maybe, maybe yeah i put it as a maybe i think it's neither narratively super important nor is it technically so good that you're like wow this is just a good episode of tv that you should watch mm-hmm. i'd put it in and it is a maybe uh too it's something that you could probably miss if you were watching all the way through but yeah, yeah. that's it so we'll, we'll both give it a three out of five i think that's fair um and before we go off i'll, I'll just say that there's the the last like eight episodes of ds9 in a lot of viewers opinion or a lot of like critical opinions that i've been reading they say it's a very strong stretch of star trek uh, I was looking for someone, someone who, as someone who's familiar with the franchise in a way that someone like Clay or Modi wouldn't be. Am I wrong in saying that it's very good, but this is not really the best stretch of Star Trek that I've seen? Yeah, I'm surprised to hear that. Uh, I actually feel like this is the beginning, like where we're at now is maybe the beginning of the ramp into the good, the, the good stretches. Uh, yeah. The very bottom of the ramp up. I feel like the first two seasons were really training wheels for DS9, and I, I, I'm surprised to hear that people think this is like the golden age. Yeah, one, one reviewer that I really like was just saying, this is one of the strongest stretches that DS9 ever does, maybe just in terms of consistency, because there hasn't been a, an abomination of an episode true, recently. True, there haven't been any move-along homes recently. Right, so um, maybe on that level, but I don't think it's the strongest stretch of star trek like i would put tng season six the second half in there i think as the, oh for sure yeah like, but yeah interesting I think ds9 seasons you know four through six are really where it uh it hits the peak of the bell curve yeah i think um since yeah clay hasn't seen it, i couldn't really tell him or Modi hasn't seen it but i think seasons four and six are ds9's strong years um, for sure yeah. five, i haven't seen I probably couldn't remember five, but four and four and six stick out as like, wow, okay, that's uh, good. Yeah, consistently from start to finish, good yep. episodes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's about it. Well, Brad, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was a good conversation. I hope you yeah. had fun. Um, and if you guys are interested in joining the show, it's a Patreon perk. You can go to patreon.com slash Lipensky file. Uh, you support the show there. And at a certain level, tier of support, you get to come on and talk about an episode tends to be a good time. We have a good time talking about these things. And it's good to get uh, other people's opinions who are not my own to sort of mix up things and give people a reason to keep listening. Because after a while, you can probably predict what I'm going to think about something. There's a joke in there somewhere about collaborating, but I, I, <laughs> it's too early for me to make it. You, you came off too hostile to my idea of collaboration here. It's like, I'm, I've got a good thing going. Um, let's see. All the social media, that's all there. Discord. Facebook, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Patreon is the big one. If you want to support the show, go there. We'll be back with uh, Tribunal. It'll be the next episode after this. And then we run into the season finale, which is the Jem'Hadar. So, Brad, thank you again for coming on. Thanks for having me. And guys, we will see you next time.